Welcome to another episode of Podcana. See, podcast about Disney Lorcana, the TCG, the news, the highlights, the spoilers, the the everything, the strategies. Uh, Brendan Patrick uh, is out and about. Are you still in the mm. UK, buddy? No, I'm not. I'm stuck in Washington, D.C. I've, uh, I was supposed to be home on Tuesday. Uh, now I will be home on Saturday. There's a lot of flight delays and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's hectic. Uh, honestly, looking into trying to find like some online flight lawyer to try to get some compensation. But yeah, it's just yeah, probably one of the craziest delays I've ever had. But who cares about that? We do have some absolutely groundbreaking, unbelievable Lorcana news for you this week. Just kidding. It's actually just spoilers. No, not much to talk about. <laughs> Been a weird, a weird content. Honestly, Lorcana, one of the the most unique content release schedules I've ever seen. Considering that, you know, we had a big burst of spoilers, and then probably the most significant thing we heard after the rules was the lawsuit, <laughs> and that's really the dominating the dominating news of Lorcana right now. Luckily, you know, in right before this episode, we did get a bunch of new spoilers, which uh, it definitely helps. We actually got some pretty cool cards as well. So. I that's what we're going to be diving into. But first, the Elsa icebreaker. Elsa? Do you want to build a snowman? All right, so this year is uh, this year. This uh, it feels feels like a year. This is only episode 13, I think, but um, it feels like we're going longer than that. But Marco Victory, a.k.a. Sasha Markovic, is the one who is helping us out here with this week's uh, Elsa icebreaker. Says, hey, icebreaker for you. What character's Dreamborn variant are you hoping for most? And what is the dream factor about them? For example, a radical twist on their canon version. For example, Stitch being unafraid of surfing. So there's like Dreamborn, Floodborn, Storyborn. Uh, I don't know what any of this means yet. Um, mm. So... so- what uh yeah so what what Sasha's is alluding to there with Dreamborn is Dreamborn is like a reimagined version uh, of the character right so if you look at Hades uh, you know Hades you know, frequently associated with the underworld um, the Dreamborn version is Hades King of Olympus so yeah the the antithesis of the underworld so the idea is that multiple characters in Lorcana will have this Dreamborn subtext and. Thus, as a result, also be some sort of uh, interesting take on the character. You see this with Stitch, Stitch, Stitch Rockstar, I believe is also a dream board. We had a few more dream boards get spoiled. Peter Pan never landing. Um, I'm sure there's some sort of reference there that's going over my head. Stitch, carefree surfer. Uh, I, well, you know, end of the day, that, that's what Sasha's getting at, right? Um, sure. I'm not sure if it's 100% confirmed, though, if that's exactly what Dreamborn is and if we're going to keep getting that, but radical twist on their canned version. All right, I got uh, one. Flake, I'll let, you, I'll let you take it. Yeah, I got one for you here. Mine is going to be Simba exiled, where he never came back to Pride Rock, and he just continued to live his life away from it, and he kind of it envisions him as kind of like this recluse, maybe never came back to sort of you know pick up on his legacy to sort things out with the hyenas and scar and whatnot i'm gonna say simba exiled is gonna be mine Mm. robin hood robbing the rich or robbing the poor to feed the rich that'd be (laughs) terrible (laughs) (laughs) if your opponent has less cards than you draw a card (laughs) it's the it's the live action version of robin hood (laughs) okay (laughs) Uh, isn't that just the government (laughs) yeah it's like 
<laughs> I don't know if this is a Disney movie. Um, yeah, I mean, so I'd like to honestly, if you're listening to this podcast, I'd like to hear if you agree with Sasha's um, with Sasha's take about Dreamborn. If you think we're gonna we're gonna see that sort of across the board for a lot of these characters, it does seem so far that we've been congruent with that. But we'll dive into some of the spoilers today because uh, quite a few of them are, are Dreamborn, actually. Yeah, but definitely. Do you wanna you wanna head into head into said spoilers? Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think about like the one thing I just want to get out of the way before we actually dive into the spoilers, which is going to be the lion's share of what this episode is. So uh, I want to sort of brush away some of the other headlines that are out there. One of which is uh, alluding to we don't have, we don't know much about the lawsuit, which is essentially this dark cloud, the elephant in the room about all Lorcana discussion, uh, and one of them is that. There was a tweet by uh, Todd Martins. Todd Martins is a video game and, and gaming columnist from the LA Times, which that's a pretty decent credential to have. If you're writing for the LA Times, you're legit. Uh, what Todd Martins tweeted out was that he got to spend time with Ryan Miller demoing the game and, and seeing what it's all about, also revealing a new card. But what is important about this is that Todd Martins quotes... Uh, Ryan Miller as saying Lorcana is quote full steam ahead which could mean that they're just they're, they're anticipating no delays in launch that they're, they're anticipating no hindrances in their their entire campaign this lawsuit is not really something that they're too concerned about so for those of you who are out there concerned that maybe there's going to be um, a roadblock or some sort of uh, hurdles that they have to clear to, to uh, maintain that Gen Con launch or whatever. I think that this tweet probably doesn't clarify what's going on at all. But what it does do is it does kind of give you a little bit of insight that on Ravensburger side, they are completely committed to their release schedule. And that yeah. is something that they're that they is uh, i hate to tell you is not entirely in their hands mm -hmm. they would say that no matter what pretty much <laughs> i mean unless unless the you know they were actually already being held up um I'm sure it's their their intention that they release on time. Of course, it is right. That that's their 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 business is in the sense of resting on that uh, on that that happening. So the statement to me, it's fine, right? I, I just I don't put much credence in it. Is it giving me confidence? But I do think that you know, positive news is better than negative, right? Um, and I'm sure that it's upper. It's I am sure. Today's upper deck's intention to release to release on time. Um, I do want to. There is one thing that came from that tweet, by the way, which is my favorite part. And I don't know if there's somebody subtweeting or what, but somebody bought the domain for rushofikertcg.com, and I don't know if it's exactly that domain, like that URL it could be a derivative of that. But then they redirected it to Disney Lorcana, and it was freaking hilarious. Oh, so basically, when you this. went. To yeah, we went to Rush of Iker. I think it's Rush of Iker TCG. Or, yeah, like I said, yep. Yeah, redirects to Lorcana, and someone would comment on that. They're like, "Well, they did say it was a carbon copy." I was just like, "Dude, that is that." I just studied now. Rush of Icor TCG dot com sends you to the sh Disney Shop. That is the Lorcana page for Disney Shop. That is some next level trolling. Whoever did that, congratulations. That's a that's a hilarious move there. <laughs> That's pretty. That's pretty spot on. That is a fantastic meme. 
<laughs> All right, let's get to the spoilers, um, which we got a bunch since our last recording. Again, we only do this every two weeks, and this is, I, I mean, you'd think that in two weeks getting eight cards, that's probably where you should be at, if not mm. more. But We got them all in one day as well, and it was like yesterday. <laughs> yeah, it was. They kind of Jedi mind tricked you. Like, yeah, what are you talking about? There's no lawsuit. Like, here's some cards, mm. which is great. Again, we want cards, Lurkana. Give us all the damn cards. So uh, let's start with, Ariel, who's it collector? It's a four drop. You cannot turn this into ink. Three, three, Storyborn Hero. It's a princess. So there's some princess uh, synergy there. Has an ability. Look at this stuff. Whenever you play an item, you may ready this character. Readying is like untapping and it mm. plays for one lore. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, by far the most interesting card we've seen. <laughs> I think this card is going to be bad in the alpha set, but this is probably like one of the most viable combo oriented cards we've seen, or at least from a design perspective, you know, this is a, a combo card. This is a card that would allow you to play Lorcana in a way that is different from how I think 90 plus percent of decks will play, um, which would be you'd be playing items, flickering them back, playing them again, and just constantly untapping Ariel and questing because you know the, that's the way Lorcana works it isn't like phases you can just do this when you can quest whenever you want so just throughout your turn you would find a way to sequence items coming onto the board bouncing it back to hand playing them again etc etc um and really there's nothing else that can do that in the game right now especially not with this uh, i don't even know if there's there's not much that can untap there is a few things but something that can repeatedly untap and is related to another resource that has an items that you could potentially flicker with you know spells or songs um yeah definitely the coolest card by itself terrible i mean you would never put yeah. this in your deck without without like an explicit reason to i also think that if you're like oh just get some sort of secondary or tertiary value because i have magic mirror in my deck no it's still not good enough at that point because if you just use it once you know you play your one magic mirror of the game it's not definitely not good enough at that the this this not being able to be turned to resources is a massive cost in lorcana and this it's uh, has terrible stats it, it does for a reason because the ability is extremely powerful um you know if you could find a way to maneuver an end game to where your deck is keeping tempo with the opponent's deck you're playing a competitive game and then on sort of a final turn you're able to play two to three items and quest two to three times with this maybe but ultimately i think you want to you want to put this in a dedicated combo deck that's utilizing that ability and from everything i've seen i would be very surprised if that deck exists um to a competent power level in alpha seems like something that they are very much looking to avoid this card with two lore i think like you mentioned is like a busted piece down the line i don't think unless unless the next like big wave of reveals is like four or five cheap items then i don't think that this is there yet but what you started with which is like this is one of the most interesting cards in this game so far i tend to agree with and again i know that we're just in the framework and the, like the beginnings of Lorcana, and who knows they already have like seven sets already kind of on their mind that they're working on that this is going to be an archetype that ariel items is going to be an archetype and there's going to be other item related things that get thrown in there and like you mentioned item bounce the item uh quest come back quest quest like this is something where if everything goes to to plan you could maybe burst for like 10 to to 12 um you know lo uh, lore in one in one foul swoop to sort of close out a game i think that that you you're right about that i think that this is mm. definitely one of those pieces not there yet 
but yeah well the combo deck that this would create is also pretty dangerous because i mean it would be definitively solitaire <laughs> i mean this would you would literally just be bouncing out of your turn your opponent would just watch you do this um which i think is fine a lot of people you know they're not big believers in zero sum fun at any point in a card game but i think you know there's a lot of successful card games that do have decks that implement that you know it, it is becomes a problem when they are the most popular decks and they are very consistent etc but you know i, I think that they 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 stretch design a bit with this you know they're willing to expand out into some more interesting territory i've seen so many two mana tutus flake that i i i was fed up at this point i just can't see any more vanilla creatures I, it just i was like oh it's getting so bored of some of the cards we were seeing but ariel definitely very very interesting and um i would be genuinely surprised if this deck is this archetype per se is is uh is powerful in in the first set of Larkana, and I'd, I'd be very much surprised if just, you know, playing Ariel, a four cost, three, three, that, that quest for one, and getting, you know, one to two residual value of untapping her, because uh, you have a few items in your deck, I'd be surprised if that's enough. I think that you're you're mostly going to look to play this card with a dedicated, dedicated combo because it can't be turned into a resource. We don't know if there's going to be drafting in this game, but if there if there was, this is the card that you'll see last. This is the card that gets passed mm -hmm. to you as the last card. Um, hey, it's blue. Yeah, is this, is this maybe this is like the Kano of? It is very Kano esque. Yeah, I mean, it, it's completely one sided. It's solitaire esque. I mean, it's a bit like I don't know. It's kind of like Amulet Titany and Magic. I mean, there's just there's the yeah. It's you're playing the items down you're flickering in the back i mean th there's a lot of names for decks that have done this kind of thing but ultimately <laughs> it'd be a very one player experience which you know i like i mean these these decks can get very convoluted the decision trees can get very complicated and they can be rewarding to play but in a debut of an intellectual property the debut of a game i'd be surprised if they if they didn't play really safe on this because that's a dangerous deck to have exist Next up is Goofy the Musketeer, five drop Ken. It's an inkable five, uh, three, six on the stat line, one lore. Bodyguard, um, which is when this uh, character it may enter play exerted, and all characters that can challenge have to challenge Goofy if able to. Also has a uh, ability, says, and two for T. When you play this character, you may remove up to two damage counters from each of your Musketeer characters. I'm not sure how many Musketeers are out there so far. I think there's like one or two others. But this is, in my opinion, much like the Mickey Broom thing, but mm -hmm. a lot worse. Yeah, I actually, um, surprised I actually think this card might be pretty good. Um, the Musketeer payoff great <laughs> yeah i think that that's that it's fantastic for that to happen if you're able to make this sort of uh synergy uh this tribal synergy you know have a payoff you know make this effectively a three eight right or even a three ten if you play if you play a five cost they can be turned into an eight and it becomes a three ten off the bat because you take two damage counter off of two characters that's really good <laughs> but also a five cost three six body with what is effectively taunt in this game that's really not that bad <laughs> to be honest like that is a that is a big butt with a decent attack stat line that is uh demanding attacks into it like I, i'm honestly not 
unimpressed with the just the vanilla stats of this card. Seems seems decent. Seems playable at least. You know, we see a lot of cards that will have these cute abilities, like these synergistic abilities, and you know they have these somewhat unplayable stat lines. But you know, five cost can play this into an ink has effectively taunt you know bodyguard in this game with a big butt and in Larkana. You know, big butts do not lie. I think it's not bad. I, what I like about this card, I think, is... Or, or about the bodyguard keyword in, in in total is that... How many times have you played Magic where eventually you get to, like, this stalled-out board state where no player has an advantage of attacking? That no player has a positive outcome when they attack, so you just wait, and you wait. And the board builds and builds until somebody has something that they can get an edge on. What I like about this is that bodyguards put in work while while like you jam it down and if your opponent doesn't want to interact with it meanwhile you're there with goofy questing 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 so you're putting pressure on your opponent to be like you're gonna have to deal with this and the longer you wait i am going to be progressing my win con so bodyguards i think in general are a very fascinating element but i think that it's a dangerous line to dance on when if you play bodyguards like this that are very difficult to deal with and if they're just continuing to accumulate stuff eventually there's going to be decks that just can't deal with it and it's going to be a really really tough uh, uh experience like, taunt is really really good in this game like bodyguard is really powerful because it represents more than your opponent having to attack inefficiently or attack with multiple characters into this and, you know take damage for it right your goofy does effectively six damage when your opponent trades two things into it that that's that's a lot but also they incur the opportunity cost of not questing that turn where you do not incur that you quest with that and that this becomes exerted um so yeah it's it's like an incredibly powerful ability in this game so i think this is a very i think this is a pretty good card to be honest next up is probably the beefiest fat boy that we've seen in this entire game which is maui the demigod playing for steel it's an inkable eight cost it's an eight eight vanilla but this boy came to play it lore it quests for three lore yeah definitely thick um it's good, I guess. I mean, it's good top end. So there is another eight eight cost, um, you know, big boy. It's the Mickey Mouse. It, has, it can reap for four. It's a five five though, and it has evasive, if I remember correctly. So it's yes. been a while. I think this is better than that. Like evasive. So uh, this thing, which is an eight eight, and Mickey Mouse both die to the same thing, right? They both get dragon fire. They both get spot removal. They both get so that five mana song that gets rid of them, turns them into a resource. They all die to that blinker removal. But this is just significantly better against the other line your opponent could take, which is attacking into it. Um, so actually, I like this card a bit more than Mickey. Mickey having evasive is just like if you know your opponent's on Mickey, you're just gonna save the spot removal if possible don't get me wrong evasive is a powerful ability and there's going to be games where you you know maybe in Lorcana your opponent has evasive characters and you just don't have anything to deal with it maybe we'll have matchups like that but overall right now i think i would prefer prefer an eight cost eight eight that uh that quest for three over the current mickey mouse um but that being said you drop this on eight it gets maleficent um like maleficent maybe costs eight or nine i believe it's like nine i think it's nine it, yeah yeah it's pretty freaking bad for you <laughs> like if someone if you play this on eight and your opponent plays maleficent on nine that's really bad so um 
I don't know if this card is going to be very constructive playable at that, but it, it's really meta dependent, you know? Like, I think this is these are really, really good stats, but the fact that it dies to what seems to be a lot of blanket removal in this game, I know we've seen it only in specific colors, uh, it makes it a kind of a risky card to play. At least it can be turned into a resource. There's a reason why in Hearthstone, like, drafting Boulder Fist Ogre is still a great play. It's a 6-7 for 6 or something like that. It's just like, you know, especially early on in Hearthstone, it was just like, it was a draft all-star. There are cards that are just good and limited because you, you can't, you don't have to worry about your opponent having a 4 of whatever the best removal is. You're you're counting on them not having it. So when you have a fat boy like this, even if it is on 8, you know, it, you can rest assured that something like this is probably going to be steadfast, that you're putting the pressure on your opponent to answer it as you're questing for three over time. An 8-8 stat line is pretty robust, dude. And I think that even if Mickey comes out at 8 and quests for 4, like, questing for 3, you're, you're one off of it, but... I think that it depends on the game state. I don't think it's like if they if both come out at the same time. I don't think it's that big of a, of a uh, big of a deal. But having an eight eight over a five five, I think, like you mentioned, is probably better. I still I think that this card is like a three on five, like three and a half maybe. I I don't think that it's gonna be looked at too heavily because of what you said. Because all the best constructed decks are gonna have point click deletes. Yeah, so, well, if you look at the, the current meta, so if we look at what what came out of the current meta with, with the cards that we had, um, I think it was dominated and it was overshadowed by two versions of decks, um, Blue Red Ramp and uh, Amethyst whatever, Aggro Amethyst, uh, you know, it could be Amethyst Steel or Amethyst Amber, it doesn't, really doesn't matter. I think this, this card loses the game <laughs> to the aggro decks like you're probably not playing this card very often and it's definitely not a key card in your deck um when there's a very fast aggro deck going against you that and all so you have the aggro decks also have massive card advantage so this card doesn't help you in any of those scenarios and then the other deck blue and ramp just has removal in both um uh, blue and red <laughs> Sorry, I, I always try to remember like Ruby and Sapphire, <laughs> but both have these spot removals, which is very bad for you. They also they have access to Maleficent on nine, which is such an easy two for one on this. The fact that this loses so badly to that deck, and then also probably gets outpaced by the aggro decks that are drawing shitloads of cards. It's like uh, it wouldn't exist, and I don't think it would do well in the current state of the meta. But I think you know this is not a bad card fundamentally like it has decent stats um and it could be playable if those things are not existent in the future constructed meta with all the alpha cards next is emerald it's got a inkable three cost peter pen never landing it's a three two on the stat line lore one evasive kind of so so i mean uh, uh, evasive is a strong you know answer or not kind of uh you know keyword here but what are your, what's your take on peter pan it's just subpar for the course with uh with emerald <laughs> emerald just gets all of like these really middling just unimpressive cards is evasive powerful yes is it powerful enough that you want a three two body like this like peter pan only quest for one lord like when you look at an evasive character what matters is it the stats three two or i mean wait or is it the lore? Well, I, I would argue it's kind of the lore because that's where you get a lot of your advantage from evasive characters. They qu they quest and your opponent can't kill them. Like, 
the advantage of being evasive is not trading in combat. It's it's not the advantage to being evasive. So I think this card is pretty bad. <laughs> but, you know, in the right meta, if the meta is being dominated by a bunch of evasive decks um, and you're, you're sort of dead set on playing Emerald, then yeah, it probably goes into your deck. Outside of that, I think that it it looks pretty pretty middling. I mean, it can answer Pascal, I guess. It's late on that. Like, you'll still be Imagine playing by. a three-drop to answer Pascal. That, that's like. what I'm saying. But, like, <laughs> that, this is the issue, is that, like, if Pascal decks are out there and that's just the way of, of the world and somebody wants to play Emerald for some reason, then you're going to have to have a way to deal with it. And if this is the only way to deal with it, I can see that this goes in there. Like, if, if there's... If there's like if there happens to be like another like a uh, uh, quest for two one three evasive, you know that this is gonna have to be in there to answer that kind of uh, that kind of threat. But yeah, you're you're spot on. The value of evasive is in that you can kind of quest and not get harassed by most of your opponent's units that they have to draw the answer in these in in an action or a song or whatever, or they're gonna have to put their own evasive unit and. Clap, you know, clap into it. Yeah, or they just race you because evasive characters are inherently understated. <laughs> yeah, that's also true. Yeah. yeah, they just they just play non-evasive characters, and then you're left with characters that are evasive, but they're outpacing you on lore, and you can't trade into them efficiently. It's efficiently. It's like it's sort of a a somewhat fundamental issue to evasive characters is that they are understated, so you're going to always be faced with this equation of your opponent racing you, and you having the poor stats or you know uh, i don't know we'll have to see how it plays out to be honest but overall just not super impressed with evasion outside of cards that are just fun they're just broken like pascal <laughs> that card's just disgusting that card could not have evasive on it and we would still you know so probably make it into modern day amethyst decks <laughs> uh next up is a steel card inkable one drop it is simba the future king a one two stat line which is basically all the one drops are two twos, or it's a it's a like one two with uh, an on deploy. So the um, on deploy ability here is guess what? When this uh, when you play this character, you may draw a card, then choose and discard a card, requesting for one. I think that this is a pretty good card. It is. I, I think it's a good card. I don't think it's a great card. Um, not having to attack when there are one mana two twos that exist is really rough <laughs> it means that this is serving pretty much one function um and then it's going to include efficiently and you're going to be in a bad like you're most likely going to be traded like when someone trades with this character after you quest with it you're going to be in a not a great scenario because they're going to trade with a one mana two two and that thing now has one damage on it and you're going to have to attack with something else incurring opportunity cost of not questing with lore you know putting another damage counter on a, another character you have two damage counters at that so they effectively get four damage out of their two two and you get one out of this the ability though is very good so the 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 most powerful cards in this game are not able to be turned into resources and that's just part of the game design and there's not much you can do when you get stuck with some of those cards in hand and they can be really really bad so this card helps facilitate getting rid of those specifically, and that's why this card is good, is is to really get rid of the cards that can't be turned into into ink. Hand fixing, card draw, things like that, I think are are just good. When you look at other one drops, like the Timon one drop is garbage. Um, most other vanillas are just two twos. Uh, hand fixing, I think, is fine. I mean, like you're not like 
completely flipping the table if you draw this late, I guess. Like, you can kind of fix a bad card, hope for something better. But ultimately, I think that, like, the one drop, the one drop pool to me is the most fascinating because it's like this is the first one I think I see that it's like okay it's all right like it or it's it's pretty good it's not like over the top it's not like Pascal level of great and it's not like a vanilla tutu it's just it's a utility card that you can drop get a point off of maybe fix your hand and work your way towards a better future as it were if I'm trying to play the most powerful cards in the game and i'm playing cards that can't be turned into resource it can't be turned into ink then i think this card has a great like a great uh, role in my deck if i am playing this card just because i want to get the advantage of discarding a card i don't want and drawing another card um and like the that just that argument right the base of that not saying i'm discarding something that can't be turned into a lore when i when I don't need that card, not searching for some specific answer, but just to dig one card deeper in my deck, not good enough. <laughs> not good enough for me, to be honest. But I don't think that that's going to be how most these decks play. I think a lot of decks will play some of these more powerful cards that can't be turned into ink. And you, it, if you play any amount of games of Arcana, you will quickly realize that those cards can really screw up a game. All right. Next up, 7-drop Inkable. Stitch the Careless Surfer, a 4-8 on the stat line, quests for two. Ohana, when you play this character, if you have two or more other characters in play, you may draw two cards. You and I have been talking all the time about how important card draw is going to be in this game. I think card draw is incredibly, incredibly powerful. You're going to run out of cards very quickly, friends, when you play this game. And I think that this, any card draw effect, already kind of gets uh, a second look in terms of how strong it is. A 4-8 that quests for 2, just the stat line, I think is pretty solid as it were already. Uh, and, and 7 cost, I think, is digestible. I think that that, as a high-end card for what you're getting for this, I think is not bad. And it gets value as soon as it enters the battlefield. <laughs> uh, yeah, this card is, I think this card is amazing, to be honest. Um, so previously, we thought that the Amethyst Amber deck was the strongest aggro deck, right? And then a few steel cards came out, and it was like, okay, yeah, maybe it's actually steel, because we can get Captain Hook, and we can recur this sort of two-mana lightning bolt, or you know, whatever you want to call it, shock. And we get a lot of value out of that, so... Yeah, maybe maybe amber is is the good secondary color, or maybe it was steel. Sorry, but I think with the, with Stitch um, Carefree Surfer coming out, it's it's definitely it's definitely amber in the aggro deck. Like this card is so good, <laughs> like eight defense is so freaking powerful, and four is also a critical number to attack at four versus three, three being this sort of like you know very average attack, and like you see a premium on characters that have a four defense. But I mean, this comes down as able to clear those. Like it's just such a good card to be honest and if you're playing a deck that has this carefree surfer in it you're maneuvering yourself to board states where you always draw two cards off of this which is absolutely freaking busted so where are you kind of right now valuing uh you know like the the various aspects of the game like card draw uh spot removal um you know safe lore generation like where are you tiering these because at a certain point you're thinking like dude if i can't spot removal a card like if i can't have access to bane fire or if i can't have access to like fire the cannons early then that puts me at a significant disadvantage and now it's like okay what about just big stat lines and consistent card draw like there's a lot of aspects here that are are kind of fighting for dominance in terms of what makes them strong 
Yeah, so I think so far the game has been pretty balanced on like, you know, where to value certain facets. I think that card draw is extremely powerful and it is like overshadowingly powerful to like some of these other, um, you know, facets of, uh, of card design, right? Like big stats, like what I, I think, you know, big, like we talked, I actually think the big butts are really important and they're highly valuable in this game. Um, I think this spot removal is actually pretty average to be honest like it feels good sometimes when you two four on some with maleficent or when you dragon fire some key peas like the mickey mouse um the one that recurs the brooms like yeah that feels good but often i'd rather be just i'd rather just be drawing cards and just assembling a bigger board and just outpacing my opponent on lore and forcing them to react to me because spot removal just seems most of the time to be pretty inefficient unless somebody is trying to do something hyper synergistic um or they're playing some sort of deck that is very reliant on a top end outside of that it seems like a lot of the power is in the lower cost cards and just drawing more cards because you run out of cards really quickly in this game like you do you get to this like sort of top deck lock pretty quickly and there's just been a few cards added to the game recently that enter the battlefield and draw more cards and they just seem so much more powerful than everything else and i think that's why am i genuinely believe right now amethyst is just the de facto best color like nothing even comes close like it's like just the the baseline of every deck you should be building is an amethyst because it has the maleficent that etb is the three cost one that etb is and draws a card and then it has the song that can be sung by said maleficent on the following turn and draws another two cards like it's just it's just insane so i see stitch and i mean it just goes right into that deck i just believe card advantage is the most important part of lurkana right now Moving on, there is the Amethyst cards. We got a couple of them that... Uh, this one was actually revealed by uh, Ryan Miller in that very uh, spooky-looking picture that <laughs> was put out there. Little... little Kind of got the crazy eyes in that, uh, in that tweet. You're probably looking at the picture right now. I'll put it into post-production, but ultimately... Uh, it's Sven, the official ice deliverer. It's a inkable six. Um, it is a 5-7 on the stat line. Quests for one pure vanilla action on this boy but like you mentioned if you're valuing those uh those fat asses man like this one's got one hell of a robust booty yeah i think that in this scenario you should just compare sven to stitch and you see stitch is actually infinitely better than this Sven. like it does cost one more resource but i believe stitch carefree surfers at a higher rarity or if if sven is a playable constructed card i would actually be pretty surprised I think this is just sort of a a very vanilla card, um, and although it would be a pain to deal with, it's it's just not threatening to be honest. Like I don't know if this will change, but at least when we were testing Lakana throughout this sort of reveal process of of spoilers, like it's hard to articulate it, but combat is just not really a thing. It's more tempo based and it's completely reliant. It seems more on just like being ahead on like potential lore than your opponent like that that's in outside of that it's just tempo and getting an advantage so like questing when your opponent really can't do anything about it there's no like trading back and forth and all this kind of stuff it just it just for some reason it doesn't really happen and it's hard for me to articulate it because of that i think that sven is just like not a threat <laughs> sven comes on the board it's sure it may be a five seven but it just it reads for one lore and if you're casting a card on six you want a lot more out of that in my opinion yeah it's another one of those again limited heroes but uh, uh, we don't even know if limited is going to be a thing in this like i was literally just i literally just wrapped up um a 
breakdown episode of my uh, Star Wars podcast where we we're talking about like the rules, the construction and things like that and how even though they have color identities, the, how they get around deck building restrictions and how you can put any card you want into anything and they already talk about draft and limited and stuff like that. I'm really curious if this is going to have a limited format to it or if it's going to be like okay in limited you can play any card you want but in constructed it has to be two color identity or if they just go down the limited route and say hey instead of two maybe it's three colors to just keep things open like i'm really really fascinated if they even care about limited or if it's just going to be something where like commander was created by people and became the most popular format where maybe that's Lorcan is going to get the same treatment like people are just going to be like this is how we want to play it so we're just going to say screw it we're going to do it ourselves i think that Lorcana doesn't care about limited <laughs> it's just the general sense and i'm kidding i can't i uh, i don't know we could we could we'll get into it later episode but i don't think that um Larkana was designed with supporting limited i do think that there will be a sealed version of playing the game um but i don't think the game is designed for it right like there, surely there's going to be a game uh, like a game mode right where get x number of packs get six packs get eight packs get 10 packs whatever it, whatever we determine is correct to form a two-color deck and then play from there i doubt that this game is going to be draftable or at least will be designed with draft first because you look magic maybe was not designed with draft first in the in the beginning or even when draft started to become a thing you know it it wasn't a format that it was being designed for when the 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 format was originally being created um which is not the case nowadays but i think that if you look at other games like flesh and blood they're designed from the ground up with draft as like a forefront facet of gameplay um and i just don't see that in lorcana and i also think that they would have advertised it by now to be honest because like i mean it's just a it's a natural sequitur to a lot of players excitement with this game is like okay what about limited what about draft because a lot of players are you know they literally define themselves as as limited players like not constructive players like there's a there's quite the dichotomy between between like a, a player base of a game like flesh and blood or like magic you know what? You know how I can see this kind of working is like you have to declare like you play and you have to declare what three you are at the beginning and you could you have to you can only play cards of those three. Like I can see this in limited two color is difficult. Like you and I drafting flesh and blood and going through uprising where if you don't choose your hero after the fourth or fifth card wheels, like you're you you lose. Like you're you're at a significant disadvantage. You cannot pivot. Uh, this is going to feel like the same. Like if you find a bomb in the first card and then the the three or four people to your right are also hunting for that color like you're gonna get iced out real quick um but you know i think that organically people who play this game and want to experience it in different ways are naturally going to come up with their own house rules of how to draft it or how to play sealed in it and i think that it's not going to be as simple as just saying all right whatever you draft you can play there's no restrictions to it but who knows it might actually start off that way where it's like dude just draft whatever the hell you want play whatever the hell you want and i I think that that's actually kind of cool and i'm i'm all for that but yeah like the way that you explained it i don't think that i don't think that ravensburger had limited on the mind and if they do they haven't indicated in any way shape or form that that is on their radar at all i'd be surprised (laughs) so let's game design aside i would be surprised if this game um if limited was a core facet of gameplay and ravensburger 
actually decided to not advertise it, especially considering like, I don't know, all the all the height they've lost over the past couple of months, you know, with all the controversy with the, the lawsuit, like they probably would have played that card by now, in my opinion. <laughs> Probably. I mean, that would have been a, a nice little hefty piece. I mean, they tossed a bunch of cards at us, the uh, last of which we'll get to, and then we can talk a little bit about some other stuff. But uh, it's a non-inkable four-drop Zeus God of Lightning Storyborn Deity. Uh, it's a zero four. Zero. Okay, sure. Quests for two. It's got Rush, so it can challenge that the turn that it enters the... Uh, the battlefield or the turn is played and it has challenger force so when it does challenge it it gets uh plus four on the attack value so basically this is like a four cost four four damage rush but it does quest for two but um what's your take on this i saw some people discussing this as kind of like oh it's a four four uh four cost uh, like deal four damage to a, a tapped unit and i'm like uh, is that good? Like, I don't even think that that's good. <laughs> yeah. So the thing you need to keep in mind is that, so the, the thing I think like these characters with challenger that have zero attack are pretty ass <laughs> in general, <laughs> um, because you play them on the board and you know, you have to usually like, it's just going to sit there and do nothing on the board. So you quested that and your opponent just trades like their, their low drops into it or just clears it. And then they incur no cost, right? They take no damage and they see that one of your characters has challenger and they just manipulate the way they play in order to not let you get value out of that. The argument is that by making them play around it, you get enough value. So far, I haven't even seen that happen in Lorcana. So Zeus, <laughs> ain't it has rush. Rush is like one of the, it's definitely one of the most potentially powerful mechanics of the game. Um, we've played a lot of Arcana uh, so far, and one of the things that feels the most lacking in the game is the lack of rush, because without rush, there's not a lot of interact. Like, it's hard to interact with your opponent, because you're just some you just get so far behind, and they can really play around a lot of the stuff you're doing. Rush sort of takes that out of the equation, because your opponent taps something to, to quest, they've done the math on your board, they think they're X, you know, they're X far ahead, and then boom, you play rush, and you clear their most important thing. Zeus, though, I just I don't see it happening, Flake. Like, maybe in some sort of aggro deck, right? But outside of that, like, this thing is just going to absolutely rot in your hand if the board state is not set up for you to get value out of this. Like, you can't really... You can't just play this on four. It sucks. Like, it's pretty bad. Yeah. I think. I, 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 yeah, I don't know. I think this card is ultimately bad, but in the right deck, I think it, it could be good. I think that, you know, like you mentioned, the fact that, you know, the two lore on it, is a little bit misleading because you're going to drop it down there and yeah you you want this to sort of just crash into something to clear it off the board like kind of like a little surprise play like boom here comes zeus zeus is going to eat up whatever character you thought was safe because on my side i don't have anything that could challenge it right the two lore on this is like oh it's a bonus it's got two lore like you can just start questing with it but the challenger aspect of this is only when it does the challenging if something comes at it they're getting a free pass here. So the two lore is is a little bit of bait here because you might think like, okay, at the worst case, it's a, it's a four drop that quests for two, but it's going to get gobbled up immediately. The second that you tap this to start questing, they are going to pounce all over this thing. So where is the value in it? Is the value in it in the lore? Is the value in it in the trade that it can potentially make? And if the value lives exclusively in the trade that it's going to make, at that point, 
there's got to be better four drops that can deal with problems that are are but then again maybe this is good enough like maybe this is this is played as an answer card and the lore is just a bonus if your opponent is way behind like this could be just win more for like the lore on this is win more that's what that is the lore is actually terrible and i'll i'll, I'll draw i'll draw a parallel that will make it it'll make a lot of sense but first i want to say the value is in the rush <laughs> the value is definitely in the rush with this card 100 percent uh anyway if you want to play a card that comes down and taps for two lore and then doesn't do shit back to your opponent, which is what's going to happen with this card. Play the one drop, <laughs> Maleficent, that is a 1-1 one, one that you can literally play it on freaking turn one when your opponent potentially is in can not possibly respond, and that gets two lore. And it also deals one damage back to whatever your opponent attacks with, which is probably a 2-2, two -two, which is probably one mana 2-2 two -two, or one mana 1-2. This card is literally pretty much parallel in value if you're using it in that case scenario so the sequitur thought is you can only use it to clear something by utilizing the rush ability which is that's rush is really good but because this can't be turned to resource there's going to be so many board states where this thing just sits in your hand and gets no value and just rots there because boom you know, the board state was not was not uh was not set up a way where you can evaluate this on turn four. Now you're on turn you're on turn six or something like that. Are you playing this card? Or are you playing Mickey Mouse? You're playing freaking Mickey Mouse. Like you're not playing this card inefficiently on turn six when you can play something like that. I, I just I don't see it happening. But my caveat is that Rush is one of the most powerful mechanics in the game. Yeah, because even leaving this like to die like let's say you trade this into a one four that's doing work or a two four or whatever that's doing work suddenly zeus has two health left and one of your one drops one of your two two one drops that you left on the board doing nothing can now just go ahead and clean it up and it's not at all a, a problem for you it's it's a free trade because he's going to go in challenge tap himself and then be wide open with for no exchange on that so yeah it, this to me is like you're trading up with this like you're trading this into a six drop or something that has like a four a four body uh, i think is is fair enough yeah i think this card is like a it's definitely a big trap uh, i i haven't seen the twitter discussion but i assume a lot of people saw this card and thought it was really good but if you just draw parallels to the other cards that already exist in the game it's not and the fact that this thing cannot be utilized to be turned into a resource and has this ultra conditional sort of clause with the challenger four it's just not it's just not good and these these cards with challenger the, the ones that are really bad are the ones with the zero attack because your opponent only takes the opportunity cost of not questing that turn and tapping the character in order to kill it and you deal zero damage back uh, i just really don't like those cards at this point in the game like i like things with i don't mind things with challenger and i don't mind things with like big bus but i'd like them to have some attack value to at least deal some damage back to my opponent and make it sure make it so they can't utilize all of their characters that they played on the early turns of the game to just trade into this because they're not going to do the thing is is what happens a lot more con is you have these early cards that you play out like this early curve and then they just don't do anything late in the game they just sit on board until you're going to alpha quest to win the game and then you quest them outside of that you literally never tap them they just sit there and when you play a card like this you give your opponent a way to you get value out of those cards that have you know basically serve their cause and will not come back into the game till the very end of the game when they're about to alpha quest um yeah i'm just not a fan of, of zero attack cards at this point in the game and that does it that's uh that's all the new cards frankly um i mean we could talk a little bit about some of the other stuff that's 
worth kind of diving into, which is the fact that I think we're like less than five weeks away from no, it's crazy. Gen Con. It's crazy. <laughs> we're, we're five weeks away at Gen Con, and this is the kind of like I. So I was chatting about this with um, some other people about other card games, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, Gen Con's like eight weeks away, and like we're like Lorcana hasn't really, you know, we're still kind of a little bit in the dark about a whole bunch of stuff, and you know, and 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 people are like, dude, it's not eight weeks, it's five, and it's probably less than that. And I'm like, oh my god, like we are five weeks away from i guess the kind of the big launch not the big launch but like the the big exposition of hey here's the game we're probably going to see a whole bunch of of stuff with this we're going to go get cards and do this and people are going to sell their disney pins like their lorcana pins for a thousand dollars on the marketplace which is hilarious but ultimately i think that like where where is lorcana at today versus where it was like three months ago leading into gen con because three months ago like you got to think that Lorcana was going to be front row center in the spotlight from the TCG aspect at Gen Con. Everybody was going to be going there and we're going to have their eyes on Lorcana. Here we are five weeks removed. Star Wars is uh, Star Wars Unlimited is, is uh, announced. They're going to be at Gen Con demoing the game, giving away promos and stuff. I mean, other card games are going to be there too. I think like Alpha Clash and like some other card games are going to be there or whatnot. I don't think that they're going to hold a candle to the popularity of Lorcana or Star Wars uh, Unlimited. However, I think that like Lorcana has lost a lot of its luster moving into this. And this is not like completely has nothing to do with the, the, with the lawsuit. I'm not even going to even consider the lawsuit in this. I think that there's just, I feel like they just maybe have sort of bungled it a little bit. Like Mm, they've lost a lot of steam, man. Like it's incredible how much, how many people are, were so entrenched in this game and the culture and many still are i'm not saying that i'm not saying that that's not the case but the the attention of everybody else has been robbed away from by other card games that are just like yeah we're we're here too and we're doing some cool stuff and hey here we go and it it feels like to me lorcana is going to be not the 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 centerpiece anymore yeah, I think Lorcana is a great example of how not to market your card game. <laughs> like, I, I genuinely think they funneled the bag really, really bad. Um, and, you know, they could still turn it around, I guess, to an extent. But, you know, I'd argue with, you know, whether it was intentional or not, the way they dripped their content, they effectively got their audience excited and then just pissed them off. They did. They they got a, they exhausted their audience because the audience got this this huge taste of what the game could be. The rules came out. You know, we had enough playable cars, and then the audience played the game. And then we got nothing. We didn't hear anything. And like the first thing we hear is that you know maybe the game is not coming out. It's all stolen. It's like it really doesn't get much worse than that. And I don't think that the issue the issue is genuinely not not the lawsuit. It's just that that radio silence they had for months. It makes no sense. Like it was just such I don't know. It, it, it genuinely is so weird because it, it felt like when we saw Lurkana three, four months ago and we looked at the product lineup and we looked at all the polish, we're like, okay, this really looks like a card that has money behind it. It's being done right. Like the last thing I was expecting was this lackluster marketing engagement with the community. Like, I mean, it was just, it was totally like sort of disassociated, right? It was very ivory tower. We didn't know anything. They like, I don't know. I I'm surprised to be honest. And I do agree with you. Like um, there's going to be a lot. I think there'll be plenty of people listening to this podcast. There's a reason why they come back and listen week to week that, you know, they are still interested in the game and you know, might be some people that very much disagree. They're just as excited as they were before. But I think if, 
on aggregate, the general sentiment of the game has has very much cooled off. And I I think that's the truth. I do. I, I think that overall, that uh, you know, they lost a lot of steam, and a lot of it comes from you know they just kind of spilled too much, too fast, and then the schedule just really dried up and they just didn't engage with the community at all. And I think that that was sort of the recipe for disaster. I think that a lot of it is like, again, to, to discuss this game and not discuss this looming lawsuit. That is a potential kill shot to it. I say potential. I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen. I'm saying that the reality exists, that there is a, a possibility that this game is not released. And if you, if you, if you deny that, then you're you're oblivious to reality. I hate to I hate to say this. You can you can be hopeful that this works out as we are. Brendan and I want this to get resolved so that they can just go back to making the game and marketing the game and putting things out on a schedule. But as it stands right now, there is a looming lawsuit that you can tell that as soon as that news broke out, like Everything just kind of like the Twitter account started like sort of slowed down and whatever they had. to, And I get it because it's not. And this is another thing that people need to realize. Disney's not making this game. Disney is not making this game. Ravensburger's making this game. Disney is a freaking like utopia city in Orlando that has like thousands and thousands of employees. Ravensburger is like. 20 people. I, I, again, I'm just throwing, you know, throwing out a number here. It is a, a minuscule fraction of what Disney is. So when shit hit the proverbial fan, they probably just got absolutely everybody possible to start working on the, that part of it. And that probably included whoever is in charge of doing all the information leaking or whatever. Cause they're like, shit, they're like, okay, I need to sort of I, I I have been asked by my higher ups to go and accumulate every every uh, correspondence that I've ever had with Ryan Miller and uh, every correspondence that I've ever had with Upper Deck and this and that and I need it because the lawyers are asking for it and I this is what I need to work on today and when you get distracted like that I've been in this position you forget all the other stuff that you were supposed to do because in reality this is the biggest and most important part of this game right now is that but. That aside, like you said, the consequence of that is that now you're neglecting the the rollout. Now you're neglecting this. And you know what? This is a great opportunity for you to take this as a free pass and say, yeah, you know what? This lawsuit is kind of screwing with us and we are devoting a lot of our resources to focusing on that. So we have been neglecting a little bit of everything else. That's a free pass for you. That's for you for free. Take that. But if you're saying that that's not the case, then yeah, Brendan is right. You're, you're right when you say that this rollout has been fumbled at the at the like 10 yard line you know it's like not even at the 10 yard line at the 50 yard line they dropped the ball somebody picked it up ran it another 20 yards dropped the ball picked it up and like they're but they're they're not even at the at the at the end zone yet and they just got a flag on the play and it's a massive one and like at this rate like they need to man like gen con is going to be crazy and the other thing that i want to touch upon before we sort of wrap things up is meanwhile while all this is going on ryan miller is going on like this journalism world tour and 
you know, he's demoing the game to a lot of journalists. He's talking to the people from comicbook.com and saying it, um, there's a, one of the uh, journal, uh, the, the columnists there, uh, Christian Hoffer, s- tweeted out, look what I did today or what, the, what I did today. It's him with Ryan Miller. They're demoing the game. There's, again, the previous one from the dude from uh, the LA Times, Todd Martins, you know, got to play the game with uh, and see the game with Ryan Miller. So they're out there kind of, showing face to the journalist saying yeah we're like it's 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 like almost like a posturing move where it's like you could demo the game to the journalist and like but they didn't write articles about them because i looked todd martins saw the game didn't write an article about it at the time that we're recording this there's no article i went to comicbook.com there's nothing about lorcana uh except for the mention of the lawsuit and the announcements and stuff like that like from weeks so they're just going and showing off the game to the journalists kind of like saying, hey, things are okay here. But on this end, we're looking at this and saying, is it okay? Because we're we're not seeing that. Like you're you're going on this Beyonce-esque fucking world tour, going to all these, you know, all these things saying, look what we've got. But meanwhile, the people who are gonna be buying the game, playing the game, experiencing the game, have haven't had anything we don't even know if the game's coming out on time we don't know what's going on and i understand a lot of that is like tied up in legal red tape and shit but it would be nice to have something like give us give us something so that we can at least generate a little bit more confidence in lorcana it's interesting because I actually disagree. So you you insinuated that, you know, after the, like the lawsuit impacted their their marketing strategy and um, their communication and uh, all of that. Right. I would I feel I feel very strong and I would argue that it, it was actually really bad before the before the lawsuit. And the lawsuit has nothing to do with it. We saw them hire the community manager like a couple weeks ago. But I think that they had some base assets right like all the product assets things like that and they did like they did like you know like the first five minutes of marketing right they reached out to some people you know there were some articles about lucana coming out and that sparked the interest we had a few spoilers after that and then the rules leaked and that was it dude that was literally it there was a few cards that were leaked on twitter but outside of that i mean there was no there was no actual cadence there was no schedule it was it was not done like via intelligent design it was like oh we just leaked some cards and then we're just gonna ghost our audience for two to three months bizarre (laughs) and i i actually think that that pissed a lot of people off and they got bored with it and they left like they got sick of that like and part of it is what's funny is because people got i guess they got accustomed to and got used to that that early blitz of information and that's why they reacted so negatively to when that you know basically ravensburger sort of went uh, radio silent but yeah i mean i genuinely don't think i don't think it has anything to do with um an allocation of resources due to the due to the lawsuit i think that they just never really had a good strategy I think it was fundamentally fraud from the beginning, and we saw that long before we heard about um, them being sued. Could they have been internally notified and then devoted resources? Yes, but yes and no. I I think that if that had happened, they wouldn't have been like, oh, we're being sued. Let's go ahead and um, let's not talk to our audience for two months with our game coming out in August. It's it's an insane it's an insane strategy. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the crux of my argument is that it was always lackluster, and I think Ravensburger just had one of the worst, um, the worst marketing strategies I've ever seen for 
for a card game and we've seen the audience respond accordingly like the audience was the audience was really angry it seems like and uh really resentful of ravensburger prior to the lawsuit announcement the lawsuit announcement just gave a lot of people something to poke them with it was like it like vindicated them right like i don't know if people genuinely don't want the game to come out but they sort of have something to you know direct their negative energy towards when you know for the past two months they just they just got kind of ghosted by ravensburger yeah i think that there's just an over overlording kind of uh, pressure now for any card game uh, not just lorcana like star wars unlimited and every card game now is announced like a year ahead of of release and like keep in mind lorcana was announced in q3 of 2022 we are approaching q3 of 2023 like we're a year removed from that that you know that initial announcement so how many how like how many other card games are going to do this kind of shit where it's like we're going to announce a game drum up hype not have enough stuff to do but that's just the norm now i feel i feel like that's just the way that they have to approach it and and the, the problem with that is that then this is precisely what happens because there's there are people sitting back and looking at this shit and saying I can't wait anymore because there's so much else going on. And I see the memes, the memes of like, uh, you know, people saying like, screw Lorcana, this is like, I'm now with Star Wars CU. But you know what? I also fear that Star Wars U is going to have something where, you know, it's going to be November. No one knows when the game's coming out or no one, and they're running out of cards to leak. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, a, a DC game comes out or a Marvel game comes out, a paper game. And people are like, that's my new thing and they're going to forget about everything prior yeah i i refuse to believe that they um they were physically or actually incapable of having a, a decent content release schedule and drip feeding the audience um you know cards and information over the over the past few months i refuse to believe that was impossible i think that was it was completely a result of of mismanagement and poor strategy like there's plenty of cards we haven't seen flick <laughs> they could have just drifted them out like you can't uh, it's this is a great case study to look back at so like you, you should not announce your card game um sort of in this fashion where you get everybody excited give them you know the rules come out you give them a bunch of cards and then you just literally don't acknowledge them for a few months i it's it's not a good strategy because it, it clearly made people resentful of the game all i'll say in closing is this is that the one thing that people want is to be reassured that their time and their passion is being taken seriously and is being rewarded and appreciated. It's difficult because I've been on the side of things where I know what's going on and can't say, and I've been on the side of things where I want to know what's going on and I have no clue and I'm being impatient. I, I understand. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that their strategy is incorrect or, cor or correct precisely or, or sorry uh, in any case but like you could still like the game and want it to succeed but be upset at how things are going so i i say this in response to how many people who are just so you know their disney goggles are welded to their heads because Disney can do no wrong and whatever the process is is the right way regardless of however they do it I, I'm here to say that's not true that that is incorrect like you mentioned they've 
really kind of bungled things. Like we got like six new cards, like or five or six new cards in one day. Why didn't we get? Yeah, why, bro? Like why it doesn't not? make any sense. It, 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 it's 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 ridiculous to be honest. Um, I will die on the hill of their that I will I would happily die on the hill that their marketing strategy for for this game over the past um, you know six months. You can say year. We can say the entire life cycle of this game being announced to we're leading up to the um, the actual release here in August. I will die on the hill that it was objectively bad. <laughs> it was bad. It was a bad marketing strategy, and they failed. This, it, don't take the failure word too seriously. It doesn't mean the game is not going to be good. doesn't mean it's not going to come out. doesn't mean we're not going to buy it. We're not going to play it. But it was terrible. <laughs> and that's fine. Like, they could have drip-fed us content. They could have engaged with the community, and they could have done a lot better job. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that that's just it. <laughs> like, that's the thing. It's like, uh, I'm not going to sit here and be like, you know, maybe it was a bit... No, like, it was clearly just... Uh, a mistake to be honest like nobody would go to a meeting be like hey let's let's announce all this stuff let's strip let's have all these cards come out at once and then let's just not talk to our audience for months that's that's an insane strategy it's 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 uh it's in my opinion it's clearly a mistake all right well on that note um that does it for podcast number 13 ladies and gentlemen and uh what do you guys think is the game in jeopardy uh are you guys still on board have you lost a little bit of confidence what can ravensburger do to maybe regain some of that consumer confidence uh, drop it in the comments here on the youtube channel you can also follow us at podcana on twitter myself at watch flake on twitter and at brendan apg on Twitter as well. Send us your thoughts and everything uh, and not your prayers because we don't care. But <laughs> uh, nonetheless, if you're going to be sending thoughts and prayers, it should be to the uh, folks at Ravensburger who are probably kind of scratching their heads a little bit as to... Do you think the- that Ravensburger is the heel of the TCG industry right now? I feel like um, I feel like there's there like a narrative here. Or there, there, it's kind of like a meme, right? And people have just latched on to it and like whether these allegations are true or not or whether anything will come from it, like Ravensburger has just been put into this, this sort of persona or character of being like this heel of TCGs. Like, I don't know. I just, I feel like there's, you know, there's been so many people, there's so many memes, like you said, on Twitter, like all these people have been like, I switch over to this game like all of that like do you think that they occupy this sort of like can they get out of it too i've this got sort of the like, perfect uh, the perfect okay. comparison for you and i know that you're not a wrestling fan but you said heel and i that the first thing I, I said it in like i think it was like the late 90s early 2000s wcw it was the late 90s the person who was writing the show and directing it had this asinine idea where he was going to give the world championship belt to David Arquette. And David Arquette, the goofy, idiot, slapstick, moron actor slash fake comedian, uh, won the title. And everybody was like, what the hell, dude? Like, I feel like WCW, and everybody turned on it as being like, okay, you guys are just completely doing this wrong for the sake of doing it wrong. So I feel like Lorcana is WCW and Ryan Miller is David Arquette. Oh, God. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know anything about wrestling, but it does not sound like a flattering title. Somebody probably. out there is going to get what I'm saying and probably be like, nah, I think that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's spot on. So <laughs> that's that's the way it goes all right brother uh any parting shots brother before we we move on that's it thank you all so much for listening we will see you in two weeks or hopefully as soon as we get information i mean 
the bright side is we there, there comes a point when we literally don't have to wait much longer. They could release nothing and the game is, you know, I mean, most likely <laughs> going to be at Gen Con. It's going to come out. So, I mean, we have exciting times coming soon. Beauty. All right, friends. Thank you very much for listening. We'll catch you in a little bit on Podcana. <laughs>